This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We can think we've got a lot of challenges in this country, and in some ways we do. But when you put some context to them in terms of what can happen in other countries around the world, we realize right away that a lot of ours can be solved with discussion or assistance. And with a little perseverance, we can usually get things done, as the old song says. In a place like Cameroon, things are a whole lot different. And earlier this week, Megan Walker was with us and told the story of Ndam, Kenneth, and Don, who was facing execution in Cameroon, even though he was not a tried and convicted criminal, you could easily argue he wasn't a criminal at all. He was up on basically hostilities toward the fatherland, and he was on a plane, and he was set to be deported from the United States, and that would lead him eventually back to Cameroon, where he would face execution. But phones started to go off. Calls were made, people were alerted, and now this story has a very different heading. Joining us right now is London North Center MP Peter Fragiscatos to talk more about this. Mr. Fragiscatos, how are things? Well, first of all, Mike, uh, call me Peter, and things are, things are well. How are you doing? Well, I'm all right. We talked with Megan Walker earlier this week, and she caught wind of the story and then thought, okay, who could I get in touch with? who might be able to do something here. And uh, I think you were at the top of the list. Take us through what happened when your phone went off and you answered it. Well, you know what, uh, Mike? Uh, what a story this is, and thanks very much for reaching out about it and, and caring about it. Uh, it, is, uh, it is something that I have not come across uh, in you know five years now, five-plus years of, of being a member of Parliament. It's, it's truly extraordinary. Uh, the uh, the ball got rolling, so to speak, uh, with a call from Megan Walker that actually went to uh, one of my staff members, who is Ryan Goss. Uh, I think you know Ryan, and the Goss family will be known in London because of their history with the uh, London City soccer team. Uh, Ryan heard out Megan, uh, understood this to be a very serious issue. It was Thanksgiving Sunday, but uh, no matter, uh, you know, the, the severity of all this necessitated uh, quick action. So he then called me. I took the call in the backyard, uh, tried to put everything together. Uh, I do know something about the history of Cameroon because prior to uh, to becoming an MP, I wrote and, and studied uh, international relations uh, at the university. I was teaching a good number of courses relating to conflict and also did work as a freelance columnist uh, that allowed me to look at a number of different conflicts. And so I had some understanding, although not a specialty in Cameroon, but some understanding of the situation there and the way that it's uh, really declined in terms of its political reality in the past uh, few years. The situation in Cameroon is extremely concerning. So right there, I knew that we had uh, we had to act quickly, uh, particularly because the dam was facing uh, imminent uh, deportation from the United States back to Cameroon. So I picked up my phone, called uh, colleagues in, in Ottawa who work on these issues day in and day out, uh, also brought in another key staff member in my office who is Josh Chadwick, who has a, a specialty in, in working on immigration and refugee issues. Uh, things just 
took on a life of their own from there, if I can put it that way, Mike. Uh, it is something that I, I can never truly encapsulate in a uh, five or ten minute interview with you here. It's something that whenever my uh, political life uh, comes to a and end, whenever that might be, uh, this is a story that I won't forget. But it all began with a call from Megan Walker. And, uh, you know, uh, credit to her, but also credit to those that brought it to her attention, a human rights activist in Alabama who then put in a call to uh, the United Kingdom where Megan's, Walker, Megan's uh, sister lives, excuse me. Megan's sister then got in touch with, uh, with her here in Canada, and I think you know the story uh, from Megan's perspective, but um, that's how everything came together. Wow. London North Centre MP Peter Francescato is joining us. So we talk about Dam Kenneth Don from Cameroon, and we'll talk about where he is right now. But, Peter, this would have been one thing if he was being deported from Canada. But he was being deported from the United States, and time was not exactly on your side. So not at all. to see things kind of come together so quickly, I mean... How does that even happen if you're dealing from one country trying to convince another country that, hey, this this guy should not be on a plane back to Cameroon? How do you even do that? It's uh, how do you do that? I, I'm still uh, marveling at the outcome here. I um, all the odds were against us. There's there's no doubt about that. It, you're quite right. It would have been one thing if uh, Nadam was in Canada. That give, would have given us a, a much greater opportunity to. Uh, uh, to intervene and, and exert some meaningful advocacy. But as you have just said, and as your listeners will know, because I know 980 has, uh, has focused on this story in, in print form, uh, this was a process that focused on the United States. And so you have another separate country, a sovereign country, and, and the world's most powerful country, no less, that we had to engage with. Uh, even still, uh, that wasn't going to hold me back. That wasn't going to hold back anybody involved in what really was a team effort. So I told you that once the call came in to me, I started to uh, work things on, on my end and uh, immediately got in touch with uh, officials in Ottawa who engage with the CBSA, which is Canada's Border Service Agency, uh, to see what could be done. Uh, and uh, that is that was the key to all this because it was uh, that that expression of concern to the CBSA that led to a message being put to U.S. authorities that the CBSA would be willing to look at Nadam's situation and potentially allow him into Canada. Now I don't want to get too technical with the details, but your listeners ought to know that. When it comes to uh, an individual in the dam's position, the CBSA is the body tasked with reviewing whether or not there is uh, substance to uh, the asylum claim that the dam will be putting forward uh, very shortly. In other words, whether or not uh, there is a good chance that he is a genuine refugee under the United Nations Convention, which defines refugees as individuals fleeing persecution, political in nature, uh, or persecution based on their race, uh, their ethnicity, um, and other uh, technical aspects of the definition, Mike. But, you know, he's fleeing political persecution, or at least he has claimed that. I wasn't going to doubt that. I gave him the, the benefit of the doubt, uh, as has the CBSA. So if the CBSA determines that there is a genuine substance to his claim, 
he will be allowed into Canada, and he will uh, he will be allowed to stay here. Uh, he will have to wait two years, however, for the really critical hearing, which is a hearing with the Immigration and Refugee Board. And that board is a quasi-judicial body that basically determines whether or not one is a genuine refugee. Um, and if Nadam is found to be a genuine refugee, then he can be put on the pathway to being a permanent resident, from permanent residency, maybe Canadian citizenship. But I, I don't want to go too far down the line. He still has to have this hearing with the CBSA. Uh, my fingers are crossed for him. Um, well, but Peter, at least uh, those, all, those all, doors all are open. open. The, those doors were, were shutting so quickly. Some of them, you know, the doors weren't even there. And now all of a sudden, all this all this is at least open where if everything is as it seems, then he'll have a shot when going back to Cameroon, that could have meant the end of his life. Well, he has a shot, as you said, and that's what makes that uh, this outcome that much more special and, and unbelievable. Uh, he was taken off a plane, Mike. Uh, I'm not sure if you know that. He was on the plane, and uh, he was pulled off that plane so that uh, he could uh, eventually make his way to a, a CBSA hearing. Uh, you can't write this stuff. This stuff is, I mean, it, it sounds like I'm describing a movie. Uh, if you would have told me uh, a few days ago, if you would have told me when I was first elected as, a, as an MP, uh, way back, that I would one day work on a case like this, I, I just wouldn't believe it. It uh, it, it really is something that uh, that I have a tough time expressing in words how everything has come together. But I also uh, say very cautiously that the outcome that we're all hoping for isn't here yet. Of course, there is a process that has to be respected. Uh, it begins with a CBSA hearing and. If that's successful, then, of course, Nadam will be able to come into Canada, uh, settle here and wait for that Immigration and Refugee Board hearing. But uh, as you put it yourself, uh, we're in a much better position, in particular Nadam is in a much better position right now than he was uh, a few days ago. He is now hopeful, uh, and a few days ago it was only hopelessness. So um, this is... It's the small wins that matter in life, uh, but uh, I would count uh, this as a big win to uh, what a, what an outcome. Well, we need some wins. So thanks for bringing us a win. Peter, congratulations. And again, uh, thank everybody else involved from Ryan Goss, Megan Walker, everybody uh, who you've dealt with in government to make this happen because this, uh, this is pretty wild. And at least it brings a story like this to light because there may be others out there as well. Thank you so much for the time and keep safe. The last thing I'll leave you with, Mike, and thanks for those uh, very kind words. It was a team effort, and let's not forget that when we look at refugees in Canada, it's not just about them uh, coming in and, and getting the protection of the state and living off the state. It's not That's not how it works. Canada has been defined by refugees. If we look at some of the greatest contributors to Canadian life, uh, social life, political life, and in other ways. So you think about Peter, people like Peter Newman, the journalist, Michael Jean, uh, our former Governor General, uh, Adrian Clarkson, a local city, city councillor, uh, Mohamed Salih. Uh, it's very clear to me that refugees contribute to the country, and I, I just want to put that on the record here, because uh, we have to continue to be an example to the world about how compassion uh, can have an impact on public policy and how refugees uh, within that framework, can shape our, our lived reality for the better. Peter, thanks again. All the best. London North Centre MP Peter Fragiscatos.
as we talk about Nadam Kenneth Nadon, who now has has a shot. And I mean, there are there are so many different stories that we could go to. His does read like a movie script. We'll continue to follow it for you, and I will tweet out the link to the entire story that appeared at globalnews.ca if you haven't had a chance to read that. Normally, minor hockey would have a few kids missing school today. Be tournament time by now for some teams. Friday, you're on the road. You're off and going. And this year is a little bit different. If we go back to the beginning of this month, the Greater Toronto Hockey League, which has thousands and thousands and thousands of hockey players, they decided that they were going to postpone their season. So they still have an eye, at least at last count, on, say, early January of 2021, that maybe they could get a season going. And in light of that, the Mississauga Hockey League, the MHL, they're a part of the GTHL. Uh, they decided that, no, they're they're just going to shut the whole thing down. There will be no hockey-related activities in 2020-2021. And some of the things that they had said were combined with the continuing increase in COVID-19 case counts, recent decisions by the province, the board of directors of the MHL, along with the boards of our six-member associations, have had to make the difficult decision to suspend standard league operations for the entire 2020-2021 MHL hockey season. That was coming from the Toronto Sun, that quote. So when we look around here, we don't have the same case count numbers that they do in Toronto and we do have an opportunity for minor hockey to start and it has there have been teams that have been on the ice for weeks now and they've been playing within their own team and doing some three on three four on four five on five within their own roster and that may continue for the foreseeable future there has been talk of bubbling so that you could have one team mixed with another team or maybe a third team. They did a little of that with baseball toward the end of the year. And it's difficult to know when things can change. The OMHA and the Alliance all have plans laid out saying, if this, then this, if this, then this. And right now the if still has everything staying very, very tight, very, very close within a team to try and prevent any kind of surge in case counts or even the introduction of case counts. You've got a lot of times where parents are not getting into arenas. They have picked up a whole lot of rubber mats. At one point there was talk of putting rubber mats around the rink and not using benches so that you could have basically the players coming on through the ice resurfacing machine doors and going from there. So it's it's been interesting to see how things have played out and the creativity that has had to exist. And in a moment, we are going to speak with a couple of people who are deep into this and dealing with everything that changes and all the different directions that we are headed in. Please welcome to London Live, Cassidy Martin and Kaylee Armstrong, who together coach a London Devilettes team, and Kaylee's been involved in all kinds of training. Cass has been involved in the game of hockey for a very long time, married to former London Knight Colin Martin. It is great to have the two of you here. How are things? 
Good. Hey, Mike. Good. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Uh, Why don't we kind of start with the London Devilettes and how that is working at the moment. Uh, Cass, you want to take us through what a a practice session might look like? Because we're not using the word game yet, are we? No, no games yet. Um, Well, practice is a little bit different this year. We're focusing more on development rather than like the strategic play five on five. Um, so a lot of our practices are just lots of flow, getting the girls, trying to teach them new skills. Um, it's a little bit different because we're trying not to get them in the corners too much battling just because uh, we don't want the, the spread of COVID to get it um, to our girls. So we're trying to just to keep it very uh, spread out a little bit. And Cass, how has that gone? Because that's certainly a concern for any league. It's it's not necessarily the body contact. Hockey's a physical game, even without body contact. It's it is the scrums in the corners. Do you have to blow a whistle to to keep that from happening, or do you have to just keep reminding players, or is it one at a time? How do you do it? Yeah, we're honestly we're just trying to uh, just uh, tell the girls like respect each other's space. Um, you know, try to stay stick length away and just try to like you know play the space they are giving you rather than just one on one battles on the body. Uh, it's been interesting. We played four and four this weekend with the junior team, and it's been uh, it's been different. The whistle gets blown down if there's any uh, physical play, which makes it a little bit harder. Makes it a little bit different from the hockey perspective. Kayla, you spent a lot of time dealing with training on and off the ice for players and doing a lot of different sessions and a lot of different things. If we're dealing with a year full of essentially skills training, what do you think that'll mean for players? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the biggest challenge this year that Cass and I are facing with our team and just with, with all uh, players in general is, is kind of you know, keeping that motivation going. Um, I, I mean, I, I played hockey to play the game. I mean, practices I obviously love, but they prepared me to play to play the game of hockey. And so, just just I guess continuing just to keep players motivated um, on the ice. The way the way we run a lot of our development sessions, we 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 mainly run development with girls hockey. So I mean, uh, kind of like our philosophy on the ice is just to. Just, I mean, we want the kids obviously to have fun. A lot of positive reinforcement. Um, we want the kids to to gain confidence when they're on the ice with us. That's kind of our number one goal. So, essentially, I mean, we just want them to come to the rink just to kind of get away from all the other, you know, restrictions outside that they're that they're dealing with, and we just want them to enjoy their time on the ice and, and focus on getting better, whatever whatever that means for for the kids. Um, well, so obviously, development has changed. Yeah. <laughs> No doubt. We're talking with Kaylee Armstrong and Cassidy Martin, who together coach in the London Devilettes organization. We're looking at kind of how minor hockey has been structured so far. In terms of the protocols, Kaylee, that you have to put in place for COVID-19, take us through because a lot of a lot of people have been parents of young hockey players at some point. So if you're arriving at the rink, what sorts of things have to change? Can the parents even come inside? Yeah, so um, it was definitely an adjustment. I started getting on the ice with uh, the girls at the beginning of July. And um, at that time, we were only allowed 10 players on the ice at a time. Um, so that, that was nine kids and then obviously uh, one coach. Um, so at that time, uh, kids had to get fully dressed in the parking lot. Uh, they were allowed to put their skates on inside the rink. And I was at Western Fair, so this is Western Fair policies. And Western Fair has done an amazing job at all their social distance measures and all their COVID measures. So I've 
I've, I've really enjoyed my time at that rink, but um, our, our kids had to get dressed uh, in the parking lot. Skates had to be tied on chairs that were physically distanced at the rink. Um, we were allowed to enter 10 minutes before, and then as soon as our ice session was done, we had to leave immediately. And the rink um, essentially had a very uh, well-placed flow of traffic and had the ice times allocated at um, different intervals, so there was no sort of, um, I guess, cross-traffic going on in the hallway. So they did a really good job at, at the physical distance measures. Now, obviously, with, uh, the way co- with, with the way things are now with COVID, we're allowed more kids on the ice. We're allowed a full team. Uh, kids are allowed to enter the change room, but the change room also, also has a maximum of 10 kids per room. Um, so we need to keep those measures um, obviously still in place. But each rink has a different protocol, essentially. So right now, Western Fair doesn't allow parents in, but London Sports Park does allow one one uh, parent per player. So it just kind of depends on where you are in the city, essentially. We are talking about minor hockey with Kaylee Armstrong and Cassidy Martin. Cass, how about the benches? Are you able to use benches right now? Can people sit side by side, or you have to keep reminding them, "Hey, just a, just, just a few few more feet apart. We would stay apart." How does that work? Um, well, the bench rules, honestly, it's it's kind of just a regular hockey that way. There's less players on the ice because right now we're doing four on four. There's less players on the ice, the less players on the bench. Um, two coaching staff are allowed on the bench. And then, like, you know, we're trying to get the girls not to share waters and stuff like that and just try to be respectful of each other's space. It definitely challenges. There's some challenges that we're seeing um, coming with the forum for just trying to keep the girls separate and try to make sure they are not sharing, like, towels and um, water bottles. Sure. Cass, just got a, a little piece of information here that I didn't even realize. Your grandfather is George Armstrong, and that is one of the most famous names going back in Toronto Maple Leafs history, last captain to hoist the Stanley Cup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. When did you find that out as as a young person? What was that like? <laughs> um, I, like, I, it, uh, yeah, he's, I, I knew kind of, I mean, he's my grandpa, right? So he was always, you know, a, a, the most amazing grandpa to me, but it was pretty cool, I mean, going up in Toronto to kind of be around him, um, you know, and have him get recognized in public. And uh, he's, he's 90 years old today and, and doing awesome. So he's been a huge influence on my hockey career and, and my coaching career as well. So. Um, That's outstanding because he's done both. I can remember a time when he had taken <laughs> over coaching the Maple Leafs, and they were going through they were going through a rough time. And I yeah. think he put an orange ball out on the ice for practice <laughs> and just had them play shinny against each other. And I think they went out and they won the next game. Just little things like that. Just a brilliant mind. Yeah, yeah. He used to uh, he used to do that with with uh, the Marlies teams that he coached that won the Memorial Cups and. Uh, he always started practice just letting them, you know, shinny, uh, play shinny and have fun. And so a lot of the coaching philosophy that I try to uh, obviously use is, is, you know, inspired by him. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just lucky to have a guy like him in my life. Hey, that's great. Cassidy <laughs> Martin, Kaylee Armstrong joining us as we talk about what minor hockey is like. And we have to take some time to talk about the Devilettes organization as well, because when you count up the number of people who are either London-born who go on to play professional hockey at whatever level it is or go on to represent their country or you know play in the NHL or the number of former London Knights that do it, this is a real hot spot. But when we look at 
what the London Devilettes have coming up. This is a program that's been building for a long, long time. Kaylee, when you look at the skill on the ice, what are you seeing? It's incredible. I mean, the the, the, the amount of skill at the, the female level right now is, is unbelievable. And I, I also think it's really misunderstood. I think that's one of the issues is that um, I think a lot of people don't understand how talented these female hockey players are. And that's just because we're not exposed to it in the same way we are to obviously male hockey players. And, that, and um, so, I mean, the, the game is growing so much. Uh, here in London, we just have such an amazing pool of women's hockey talent. Um, and uh, that's kind of why Cass and I are involved in the organization is, you know, we, we want to be a part of that experience for the girls and kind of help them get to the places they want to go, whether it's college hockey uh, here in Canada or going to the States. I mean, Cass and I both have experience in both of those areas, so um, we're just really happy to kind of, you know, be a part of that. Cass, is this even different from when you and Kaylee played in terms of the opportunities that may exist for female hockey players? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, for me, like growing up out West, it's come so different. Um, I think now there's so many more different um, development opportunities now where there, I don't think there was much um, when we were growing up. So many different um, skating opportunities, different camps, different um, like power skating, shooting clinics, things like that. Just so much more opportunity for these girls. And it's just so, it's such a great opportunity to be a part of it all. Well, it is a tremendous story that is still in the making. Kaylee Cass mentioned that you guys were working out with the, the junior Devilettes just last weekend. Is is that a team that we should be keeping our eye on when you know, when we're looking for the next great stars coming out of the Devilettes organization? Absolutely. There's some girls there that have already signed to some pretty um fantastic colleges universities uh, it's a great group of girls the, com- the compete level is it's so fun to be a part of these girls are great hockey players and it's great to see that women's hockey is now you know has the value that it has and these girls are going to these universities getting these degrees makes me proud as like an older player just to be part of it all well that is tremendous the two of you keep this up and good luck with uh, with keeping everybody going through the the four on fours and uh, the little bit of five on fives and here's hoping we can get these numbers where they need to go and here's hoping we can find a treatment or a vaccine we can get you guys playing some hockey and, and doing what you normally would be doing at this time of year before we go uh, Kaylee got it Steve wants to say hi and Cass Bob wants to say hi so the two of you are as famous as they come so I had to pass along both of those to you. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Have a great weekend. Thank you, too. Bye. Cassidy Martin, Kaylee Armstrong, as we talk minor hockey from a London Devilettes perspective. Okay, I've got to thank Derek very quickly because he sent an email to Mike at 980cfpl.ca, and he said, don't go bidding too high in your castle, Mike. It actually might come cheaper than you think. And he sent me a link to a business insider uh, article and it lists off a bunch of castles. Now, not every one has a price to it, but here's one in Scotland. It's it's not even as close to as nice as the one in Southwest France, but it's selling for four hundred ninety-five thousand. However, they're saying it does need a lot of repair. And as I look closely at the picture, uh, yeah, part of the roof is gone. So yeah, you, 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 and there's a lot of roof 
and a lot of it's gone. So, yeah, you'll you'll definitely need some money for repairs for a lot of these things. But apparently this is a thing that happens. Castles are unused, they're abandoned, and they're sold. Uh, a lot of these things look really scary. And that's something that even if you're not up for buying an abandoned castle or an abandoned billing, building and, and just feeling scared every day of your life that it might be haunted, uh, we can actually just give you the experience of that right close to home. You hardly have to go very far at all. Because Fanshawe Pioneer Village is going to be putting together something that opens very, very soon, and it deals with an abandoned village and joining us to talk about this right now is allison Clages, who's the public programming coordinator at fanshawe pioneer village allison thanks for being here thanks so much for having me mike let's talk about the abandoned village we were just looking at abandoned castles and the fact that we can buy them i don't think we want to buy them but what if we wanted to visit could we come and visit you could come and visit. So uh, we don't have a castle, but we have abandoned buildings that you could come visit uh, at our uh, haunted attraction, which runs October 21st through the 31st. So coming up very, very soon. There's only about five sleeps left. And then after that, who knows if we will be able to sleep because we're all so terrified. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about how you have transformed things because you've done some hauntings before. So what can we expect this year? So this year is distinctly different from our past events. Uh, in other years, we've aired on the side of spooky or unsettling. This year, we are going all in scary. We knew that we would not be able to host our Halloween event in the same way that we had hosted it in the past. So we called up someone else who would not be able to host their Halloween event in the same way they've done, uh, Byron Scary House, uh, and asked if they wanted to partner with us. And they said, let's do it. So they have brought their scaring acumen to the Pioneer Village and have transformed three of our buildings into haunted attractions. Let me tell you, I, I have worked here for about eight years. I do not even recognize the inside of these buildings. It is no intense. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so three buildings have been set up. What do we need to know? Because as, uh, as, as great as, as it is to tour through, we're still in a pandemic. So mm -hmm. how does that work when we come to visit? Yeah, so obviously haunted houses are not like concerts or parties. They have always been about social distancing. Uh, and if anyone has ever been to a Byron Scary House production, you know that they are really good at making you feel alone. So this year, in order to help protect everyone involved, not only the guests, but also those who are helping us run this huge machine of a haunted house, uh, we are splitting people into groups of two. You can come with a larger group, but you're going to be split up uh, when you go into our areas uh, for scary. Uh, and so this will help make things scary, but it also help us keep social distance from everyone involved. Um, so we're going to be scaring from six feet away. From the time you arrive at the Pioneer Village and leave your car and get in line, we are asking everyone to wear a mask. So masks are required throughout the entirety of the experience. When you're outside, when you're inside, they need to stay on from the time you get in line until the time you leave our gates. We have had people ask who are um, 
compromised and they aren't able to wear a mask, we are requiring that if you cannot wear a mask, you have to have on a face shield. People will be screaming. There will be spittle around. So we need you to wear a face shield at the very last least. Uh, Throughout the experience, we are going to have hand sanitizer available. So someone's going to be spraying your hands throughout um, just to make sure that your your hands are staying sanitized if you are happening to touch things, uh, as well as we're going to be sanitizing just the areas in general. Okay. The event um, is going to be completely touch-free. Anything that's hanging is um, going to hopefully be above your head, (laughs) Um, and we're going to do our best to keep everybody separate. That's fantastic. We're talking with Allison Clagis, who's a public programming coordinator at Fanshawe Pioneer Village, and we are talking about something that begins, as Allison says, in five sleeps on October the 21st, runs through until October the 31st. And Allison, before we go, you've, you've got kind of a story yeah. attached to this. So, so give us the background on these three houses or these three locations, these buildings that we can go into at Fanshawe Pioneer Village. What's happened? So the legend goes that a freak storm cut off the village from the surrounding area and things got nasty, as is wont to do. Uh, So the villagers turned on one another and uh, did what was necessary for them to survive. In the months of isolation that followed, an old dark secret rose out of the past and plunged the village into chaos. Many of the visitors were, were never... or villagers, rather, were never found, uh, and those that were uh, discovered were just merely remains, so there's not much left of them. Now, once in a blue moon, which we have this year, the ghosts of the abandoned village return, and we're wondering if all of our guests will either survive or if they'll be uh, included into the ranks of our ghosts and not to be seen until the next blue moon. At a time when we don't get a chance to go out very much, this gives us an opportunity to do something great. Allison, thank you for putting this together. So it begins October 21st. What do we need to know about tickets and things? So to get tickets, you can go to our website, which is fanshawepioneervillage.ca. There will be a section called The Abandoned Village. Uh, On there, there are links to each night of the event. And on there, they're all divided up, and you can purchase tickets by night. Tickets are $18. We are highly recommending this event for those who are 14 plus only um, because of the fact that there are very graphic scenes throughout. Um, Runs rain or shine. Make sure you're wearing good footwear because it is gravel and uneven paths. Uh, And just remember to, to come prepared to be scared. Love it. Allison, thank you so much for describing this for us. Good luck with everything, and uh, hopefully you don't scream too much over the next few days as the finishing touches are put together for this. Really appreciate the time. No problem at all. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Allison Clages, Programming Coordinator at Fanshawe Pioneer Village. The Abandoned Village comes into being on October the 21st. See, we can still make Halloween fun. You know, trick-or-treating is probably going to be a little different. There are no Halloween parties. If you hear about one, shut it down. Be the get-off-my-lawn person. No, 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 no. We're not having Halloween parties. But you can do that. And you know what? That, even though you're not getting as many small chocolate bars as you are when you trick-or-treat, that is going to be way more fun. Because trick-or-treating, I don't know, I haven't looked far enough ahead. What's the weather going to be like? Trick-or-treating in cold is cold. 
Trick-or-treating in wet is wet. And typically on October 31st, you get cold or you get wet or you get both. This, huh? I like this. It is the haunted village or the abandoned village that has a, a whole lot of haunted, scary stuff to it. And it's happening at Fanshawe Pioneer Village. Get your tickets before they are gone. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 